The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. On the day that Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all reported the astonishing sight of the veil in the temple being supernaturally torn from top to bottom. This massive, heavy curtain, nearly 60 feet high, separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. Suddenly, the most secret holy place, off limits to everyone, but the high priest was opened. And from that moment, every believer has had direct access to God through Jesus, enabling us to call him Abba, Father. During Holy Week, we're increasingly learning about Christianity's foundational Hebraic roots within the Bible. And according to Time Magazine, the re-Judaizing of Jesus himself is an idea that's changing the world. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Each year in Jewish homes worldwide, their exodus from Egyptian slavery is replayed with a biblical Passover meal. The word Passover memorializes the time when God's death angel passed over Israelite homes in Egypt because the doors of their dwellings were protected by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. Each home was safe due to the blood but firstborn Egyptian sons died. They were not protected by the blood. After the deaths of the firstborns, which was the 10th plague that God sent against Egypt, the Jews were finally set free. The Bible commands Jews everywhere to remember their exodus to the promised land, and Passover is definitely a Christian event as well, because believers in Jesus are increasingly understanding Holy Week in light of Passover. Holy Week's culmination is Resurrection Sunday, the Jewish holiday of first fruits within Passover. This is so significant. In his resurrection, Jesus became the first fruits of those who have died, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. Jesus gave his life as our Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first Hebrew month called Nisan, and he rose from the dead on the 16th of Nisan, the festival of first fruits. I prefer to say Resurrection Sunday because Easter doesn't equate with Passover. The resurrection season is rightly translated as Passover in Bibles of many languages, but the problem in English with the word Easter is that it's derived from a pagan fertility goddess. That's totally unrelated to Passover. The remnant church makes progress whenever it takes the broom of the Holy Spirit to sweep out obvious pagan words and customs from our celebrations and meditations. It's marvelous that so many believers in Jesus are understanding that Passover and Holy Week are intimately connected. In fact, Christianity grew out of biblical Judaism. Understanding the importance of this connection gives context and deep meaning to the Lord's death by virtue of his sinless blood sacrificed as the Lamb of God. 
In the opening today, I mentioned a former issue of Time magazine listing the re-Judaizing of Jesus as one of 10 ideas that's changing our world. And it is wonderful to see many of my Israeli friends reclaiming Jesus as one of their own. For nearly 2,000 years, it's been difficult for Jewish people to acknowledge Jesus since his name has been tragically associated with anti-Semitism. But now the existence of a Jewish state enables Israelis to study about Jesus without missionary pressure. In a Jewish state revolving around Hebraic holidays and customs, Jewish people just don't feel threatened to read the New Testament. Time magazine observed that this shift has come in stages. First, there's been an acceptance that Jesus actually was born a Jew and that he actually did Jewish things. There's a growing admission that Jesus and his chief interpreter, the Apostle Paul, actually saw themselves as quintessentially Jewish. This is an important development because Jesus was perceived in the past as somebody who had abandoned Judaism, but not so. In a trendy new book called Jesus, First Century Rabbi, Rabbi David Zaslow stated that to a Jew, Jesus can even be viewed as a Rebbe. That's an endearing Yiddish term for a rabbi. He can be viewed as a leader of a group of Hasidim, pious disciples. Jews can view him as a healer and a miracle worker, a mystic like the famous Baal Shem Tov after him, or as an incredible maggot, a teacher in the tradition of the Pharisees. Rabbi Zaslow wrote that we in Judaism would call Jesus a mensch, someone who lived up to his total human potential. And yet, Rabbi Zaslow also stated that to a disciple, a Talmud of Jesus, he's so much more. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, spoken of in the Jewish prophetic writings. Fascinating. Well, as I said, during the Exodus, to be saved from the angel of death, the Israelites had to eat the Passover lamb and daub its blood over their doors. Recently, I enjoyed an article in my newsfeed by Roy Schumann, who described himself as a Hebrew Catholic. Schumann wrote that out of the liturgy of the Exodus arose the liturgy of Holy Communion. So it behooves us to understand the blueprint, the framework. You see, there is an inseparable link between Passover and Jesus in the history of salvation. Schumann made a point that's often disputed that in his estimation, Judaism and Christianity are not two different religions. Instead, they form one tapestry of salvation, reaching from the Garden of Eden until the second coming. In a time when too many Christian pastors are downplaying the Hebrew scriptures, it's vitally important to know that the Jewish patriarchs played a significant foundational role in salvation's tapestry. You see, to marginalize the Hebrew Bible, as one mega church pastor recently suggested, is a grave and even suicidal mistake because Christianity simply cannot exist without the Old Testament. Schumann stated that at the beginning of time, God set up for all mankind one system of salvation divided into two phases. The preparatory stage corresponds to the Hebrew scriptures and the fulfillment stage corresponds to the New Testament. 
And through the Jewish Savior, salvation has been extended to all nations. You see, God's severe test of his friend Abraham to sacrifice his son and heir, Isaac, was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus at Golgotha. Jesus dying on the old wooden cross was a fulfillment of the picture of Isaac climbing Mount Moriah, carrying the sacrificial wood on his shoulders. Isaac was bound by Abraham on the wood, and this drama was a foreshadowing when in the fullness of time, God would lead his own begotten son, Jesus, with a sacrificial wood on his shoulders to literally the very same mountain, Mount Moriah. I'm always amazed whenever I see Jewish artist Mark Chagall's painting of the binding of Isaac. In the background, the painting depicts Jesus dying on the cross as the substitute lamb of God. At the last minute, God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, and a ram caught in the thicket was sacrificed instead. All of this was in the mind and foreordination of God. So it's important to ask what the prophet John the Baptist meant when he declared concerning Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God. To understand, we have to know that sacrifices for sin were instituted in the law of Moses and prefigured and Abraham offering up his son Isaac. Then when the Israelites were commanded to paint the blood of the Passover lamb over the lentils and doorposts of their homes, they prophetically made the sign of the cross. Ignorance in the churches of the Exodus narrative robs believers of the rich revelation that's inherent and embedded in the Passover narrative. The annual family Passover meal is a feast known as the Passover Seder. Seder means order because an orderly liturgy accompanies the meal. The Seder is full of explicit messianic references, including an empty chair set out for the prophet Elijah. An Elijah cup is also set on the table just in case the prophet should appear as anticipated. The last supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples when he instituted Holy Communion was, of course, the Jewish Passover meal. Throughout the Gospel narratives, Jesus is explicitly called the Lamb of God. Many Bible prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus concerning the Passover Lamb. For example, he was without blemish. In other words, he was sinless. And because the Torah specified that not a bone of the Passover Lamb should be broken, the Lord's legs were not broken on the cross, although the legs of two thieves crucified with him were broken by Roman soldiers. The Presbyterian church in which I was brought up used small diced pieces of white sandwich bread for Holy Communion, but technically unleavened bread should be used. Every week, my grandmother of blessed memory baked communion bread for her Methodist church in North Carolina and it was always unleavened bread that she baked. In those days, I didn't really understand the difference, but now I know that leaven is a Bible symbol for sin, and Jesus was the bread of life. He was sinless, bruised, beaten, and pierced for us, as even the Passover unleavened bread is pierced and striped. During Holy Communion, where we attend at Jerusalem's Christ Church, unleavened matzah bread, 
is always served, Passover bread, at the Lord's table. So the unleavened bread of the Passover meal speaks of the sinless body of Messiah. In the book of Exodus, unleavened bread was mandated to be part of the Passover meal. The Lord's ancestor, King David, wrote in the Psalms that he was conceived in universal sin, but Jesus' conception and birth were different. His was a virgin birth. The disease of sin was not in his blood. So you see, the Lord's communion table arises out of the Passover, and they are eternally interlocked. Now, the act of remembrance is part of celebrating both Passover and the Lord's table. The Jewish people were commanded to remember their deliverance from Egypt, and believers in Jesus were commanded at his last supper to do this in remembrance of me, to eat the elements of bread and wine in his memory. The first Passover is the story of the liberation of the people of God from slavery, and the Lord's table symbolizes our liberation from sin. Every true believer is invited to his table. We don't have to eat the crumbs under the table like the little dogs, but we dine with the Savior himself as if time is suspended. In some denominations, Holy Communion is called the Eucharist, a word from the Greek language meaning thanksgiving. Thankfulness to the Lord for rescuing us from sin and transferring us into the promised land of spiritual freedom. Holy Communion is meant to be time out, to reflect upon our actions, to ask for forgiveness, to seek healing and reconciliation. In some denominations, before communion is served, congregants are invited to share the peace with one another. That's an opportunity for reconciliation and transparency. The story is told of two clergymen who had not spoken to one another for years. They were called upon to serve Holy Communion together, and in so doing, one of them offered the cup to the other, saying, let this be our cup of reconciliation. And so they forgave one another. Communion is also called the cup of blessing in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Furthermore, the ordinance is described as the breaking of bread in Acts 2, 42, which says that the believers continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. For me personally, I'm fascinated by the timelessness of the Lord's table. All true believers wish we could have been part of his original banner of believers, but sitting at the Lord's table does suspend time and brings us into fellowship with the communion of the saints. The Apostles' Creed refers to the communion of the saints, meaning not just the Lord's table, but it goes deeper, encompassing past believers, believers in the present, and future believers, because we all share in the same salvation through the merits of Jesus our Lord. In a not Dissimilar fashion, at the Passover meal, the Jewish people experience something spiritually akin to a time warp. They enact the meal to identify with their forefathers as if they themselves were being delivered from Egypt. So in Christianity, Passover illustrates the greatest sacrifice ever made in the history of the universe. Messiah is our Passover, the Son of God, Savior, the Lamb of God who causes our sins to be passed over, even eliminated by the cleansing of his blood. 
Therefore, the Lord's Last Supper was a marvelous and totally unique Passover Seder. At the Last Supper, he was the Lamb of God. Jesus told his disciples that this would be his last meal until he returns. He said in Luke 22:18, I tell you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. That night, Jesus founded a simpler feast till he comes again. The Lord's table is simple but profound, consisting of two of the elements from the Seder table, bread and wine or grape juice. The bread represents his body broken for his people. The wine or grape juice represents his blood shed for the remission of sins. Presently, the Lord is physically absent from earth, yet his presence through the Holy Spirit can be experienced by every born-again believer at every communion table. What an amazing institution. It's a much greater memorial than bricks and mortar, stone, marble, or gold. The Holy Communion is to be a reminder of our Redeemer's sacrifice. In his wisdom, the Lord instituted the ordinance of the Lord's table to cause us to enter into Holy Communion, forgiveness, healing. The three synoptic gospels record that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and gave thanks. Then he broke the bread and distributed it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He wants to be remembered. So we must never lose sight of Calvary and the passion of the Paschal Lamb. He also wants us to remember his promise to return, to take us to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He left us this command to remember him because he knows that we're prone to wander like sheep and to forget. At the table of blessing, we do some spiritual house cleaning. His meal is after all the meal that heals. The Lord taught that we must be reconciled with others. We're commanded to love one another and we're commanded to forgive. So when we love and forgive, the Lord's healing power is not blocked. Furthermore, for the record, the apostle Paul wrote a short Seder in order of the Lord's Supper. Of course, Paul wasn't present in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's table, but Paul received these instructions by revelation. Paul's description is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he wrote, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Paul said, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then Paul gave an important commentary. He wrote, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as distinct from other bread and wine, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Fascinating that the word proclaim means an announcement. That means communicants keep and reinforce and announce in our minds the purpose of the Lord's dying for us. Paul also followed up with a warning. 
He said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So he said, let a person examine himself. This self-examination before partaking of the elements is so important to see if we have any unconfessed sin. Paul wrote that some persons were weak and sickly and some had even died as a result. So I take this very seriously. Holy communion is the meal that heals when we approach the table with humility. But we should not think of partaking if we harbor any kind of animosity or darkness in our hearts. Well, I contemplate the Lord's deep desire to experience this prophetic meal with his disciples. Jesus said longingly, with great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's a Hebraism with desire I have desired, meaning most earnest desire. Having purpose to redeem a lost world by his blood, he was now ready to offer himself up to fulfill prophecy. So we begin to understand why he so intensely anticipated this meal. First of all, from a human point of view, as a child and as an adult, he had enjoyed going up to Jerusalem for the festival. It was his family custom. Also, as Israel's greatest native son, he simply loved the festivals of the Lord. One of the great milestones of life is gathering around the table with family and friends. Jesus appreciated the blessings of social events because wasn't his first miracle, after all, performed at a wedding? Many memories and thoughts must have pressed upon his mind concerning the deep significance of everything that the meal was commemorating. He knew he would be the prophetic fulfillment, even the embodiment of the Passover elements. But because he was about to be betrayed and killed, he desired the solace and fellowship of his closest friends. Also, Jesus knew he would need to draw physical strength from this meal to help him to endure the ordeal he would soon be facing. But foremost, the Lord was mindful of the opportunity to institute the Lord's Supper, a most solemn and awesome turn of events, a rewriting of the Passover liturgy that had been rehearsed for generations. You see, for centuries, the Jewish people had described the unleavened bread as the bread of affliction. Now Jesus, Yeshua, would redefine and amplify the bread of affliction with its full meaning, saying, this is my body broken for you. Even today, as I said, the unleavened Passover bread called matzah is pierced through and striped like the body of Jesus, who the following morning would be flogged with many stripes to make atonement for the sicknesses and sins of mankind. Also concerning the wine, Yeshua again changed the liturgy to redefine the wine as the blood of the new covenant. He was referring specifically to Jeremiah 31, 31, which states, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now the cup of redemption becomes the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Thus, the Passover meal commemorating Israel's exodus from Egypt was upgraded to the Lord's Supper, commemorating our exit from sin 
and ultimately it will become the marriage supper of the Lamb, when God's eternal purposes will be victoriously culminated. But at Yeshua's Eucharistic Passover in Jerusalem's upper room, all of the symbolism would not be easily digested by his disciples. His words were new and radical, yet this was the plan of God unfolded from the foundation of the world. The Lord's sufferings and atonement were God's love, free gifts poured out to his people. While the burden on the Lord's shoulders was extraordinary and was compounded later in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he retreated after the meal to pray, even sweating drops of blood in agony and tremendous spiritual warfare before he was arrested. So this was no ordinary Passover Seder night, and this was no ordinary Passover Eve. During the Jewish Passover meal, one of the children traditionally asks a teaching question. Why is this night different from all other nights? Truly, the Lord's Last Supper was different from all other Passover Seders, and that night was different from all other nights in history because the Lord himself was the Passover lamb. In the Christian world, that night is called Monday Thursday, Monday being a shortened form of the Latin word for command or commandment, referring to the new commandment Jesus gave to his disciples that night. It's recorded in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus, Yeshua, orchestrated the meal to explain and to fulfill great doctrinal truths. And in the mix, he would also take the time and effort to teach humility to his squabbling disciples by stooping to wash their feet. He would also have to deal with the heartbreak of his betrayer. He offered Judas the best morsel from the table. Well, as we bring this Passover review to a conclusion, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you the good news that Jesus died for my sin and also for yours, no matter what's our race, color, creed, or national background, because he's the savior of the world. And he said, if I be lifted up from the cross, I will draw all men unto myself. He offers you eternal salvation and deliverance from sin and great peace of mind. But Jesus must be received. The Bible teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. I encourage you with all my heart to receive him now, today. Amen. And I invite you to stay in touch and join our conversations on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our electronic magazine exploits and receive our weekly email reports. And have you taken advantage yet of our Jerusalem Channel app? It's available free to download from your app store. And so until we're together again, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Daring. Shalom and Maranatha.